don't despair because the gospel of the Lord Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit can change us. And you think of, you know, Saul of Tarsus, who was a very angry man before his conversion, violently angry. And the Lord changed him. Welcome to the Crossway Podcast, a show where we sit down with authors each week for thoughtful interviews about the Bible, theology, church history, and the Christian life. I'm Matt Tully, and today I'm talking with Christopher Ash. Christopher is a writer-in-residence at Tyndale House in Cambridge, England, and a full-time preacher, speaker, and writer. He's also the author of a number of books, including The Heart of Anger, How the Bible Transforms Anger in Our Understanding and Experience, which he co-wrote with Steve Midgley. Today, Christopher and I discuss why anger is such a powerful, dangerous emotion for the Christian. He walks through some of the key Bible passages that address the topic of anger, explains how we should think of imperfect, often selfish human anger compared to God's perfectly righteous anger, and offers advice for the person who struggles to control his or her anger on a regular basis. Let's get started. Well, Christopher, thank you so much for joining me today on the Crossway Podcast. It's very good to be with you, Matt. So you have this really powerful line uh, in the opening of your book uh, that just really stood out to me and I think uh, would be really helpful to hear you unpack a little bit more. Uh, So you write, anger is the drawn sword of human relationships. What do you mean by that? I I guess it was an image that came to me when I was thinking about this. I mean, it's an old-fashioned image because nobody draws a sword now except on a a film set. Um, But it's the idea that before a sword is used to strike somebody, somebody has to to reach their sword arm to, to touch the sword and think about drawing it, and then they draw the sword... And then they hold the sword up in the air. And it's a, it's a kind of process. And it just seemed to me it was a way of getting a hold of the idea that anger is that strange in-between thing that starts with a seed thought and desire and feeling in the heart and then ends with an angry word or an angry deed or something mm. like that. So I just hope that it was an image that might convey that the drawn sword it's a, it's a, it's uh, i felt it was quite evocative yeah no i did too and it it, it is interesting because it is that in between before the the violence that the sword implies actually occurs but there's also something intentional about it you're you're drawing that sword you're readying yourself and there's this kind of threat implied in that um, is there something to that? I think sometimes we think of anger as this unbidden, uncontrolled emotion that just kind of appears and wells up, uh, maybe outside of our control to some extent. Um, is that true, or is there more active uh, engagement on our part? Is there an actual intentional drawing of the sword on our part at play there? Uh, Matt, that is such an interesting question and such a difficult question because there is, I think Ed Welch has famously used the phrase, the madness of anger. 
And there is a madness, there is a, an out-of-controlness. We talk about mm. flying off the handle, and we all have that, you know, we all have memories ourselves, let alone other people, of flying off the handle, where it just, it's out of control, and I'm, yeah. I'm out of control, and I know that I'm out of control. So there is that. But I guess it's trying to get hold of the idea that, that you dig down into your heart, and you find there's something there that's going on that's got a sort of logic to it. Mm. Um, I, I think theoreticians talk about perception. You know, I, I, I perceive something which either harms something I value or threatens something I value. And then I appraise that and I decide I don't like it. Mm. I don't like something I value being attacked or harmed. And then the anger follows. So I think it's that sense that that diagnosis, you can do something of that, even if it's afterwards in retrospect. And I think that in a way offers hope because it means I'm not simply a victim of some yeah. random thing that just happens to, to, to me. I think that's what I was trying to get at, really. Yeah, yeah. as I think about my own life and experience, um, you know, there are times when I have that feeling of, of anger that is just sort of, it comes to you. But I also think often it feels like there is a moment, even if it's only a brief moment of, I know I'm feeling upset about something and now I have a choice to make. Can I, am I going to indulge this? Am I going to go forward in that feeling or am I going to, to exercise self-control and, and yeah. check that? Um, so it's interesting, there's this kind of dual, it's both happening to us, but it's also something that we have a, a part to play in. I guess so. And we live in a culture of victimhood, don't we? I mean, we're, we're very used to everybody portrays themselves as a victim. I always, I'm a victim. And there's something in that. I mean, sin is a power, and, and it, whether it's my own sin or, or, or bad behavior of others, I am, you know, in some measure a victim. Mm -hmm. But it can be overstated, and I'm also a moral agent in the presence of God. I have responsibility for myself, and um, I guess it's wanting to try to get hold of that as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, what do you think about that broader question of emotions? I know it seems like it's uh, fairly common today, even among Christians, to hear that uh, the, the sentiment that, you know, your emotions are never sinful in and of themselves it's it's only what you choose to do with those emotions maybe how you act in response to them or what you say to someone else in response to them but the emotions themselves are just uh just kind of there and they're morally neutral uh what do you say to that i think i think the bible speaks pretty strongly against that uh, i mean when the lord jesus in the sermon on the mount says you know murder's wrong obviously the sixth commandment, but when you get angry, you know, with malicious, sinful anger, then, you know, that's a guilty thing. You're liable to the judgment of God. So I don't think we can... It, it, there's something rather naive about when people say that it's what I do and what I say can be separated from what's going on in my heart. Mm. And the emotions are expressive of what's going on in my heart. And therefore, emotions um, must be either virtuous or sinful or often mm. mixed. Uh, and therefore, the shaping of our emotions is a very important part of 
sanctification. It's interesting, as you know, one of my big projects at the moment is working on the Psalms. And I think one of the things the Psalms do is to shape our messed up affections and emotions and mm. reshape them so that we we feel as we ought to feel. Yeah. So I don't think we can, you know, if we take the Bible seriously, I don't think we can, can buy that idea that emotions are just a neutral thing, that they're just there. Yeah. Yeah, I want to, you mentioned Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, and obviously the Psalms also uh, capture so much human emotion and even speak to God's emotions at times. Uh, and, and this idea of anger is a pretty common theme in the Bible as a whole. Uh, you know in your book that there are at least 15 different Hebrew or Greek words associated with anger occurring in, I think it was nearly 800 verses or passages throughout the Old and New Testaments. Yeah. And, and honestly, hearing it spelled out like that was actually pretty surprising to me. I think I knew it was a, a fairly common theme, but not that prevalent. So what do you make of that? What do you make of how prevalent this idea of anger is in the Bible? And a lot of those, those references, I think, are references to God being angry. Yes, they are. I mean, I reckon between a half and two-thirds are to do with the, the righteous anger of God in both Old and New Testaments, I think. I mean, it's hard to do accurate statistics, but there's a lot of it, as you say. I, I wonder if that just says to us that this anger thing is bigger than we sometimes think. I think in some of our Christian circles, we we naturally home in on certain virtues and certain sins, um, the, the, some which have a kind of magnetic quality, and we, we, we will naturally talk about this sin or whatever. I mean, particularly in the area of sex, because those are the hot-button issues in our culture. Um, and it's not that those, you know, we're, we're right to talk about those, the Bible does, but that, that anger and... I think at some point in the book, Steve Midgley and I talk about anger having cousins, um, as it were, a, a, fa a family photograph of vices, um, and and that anger is is a significant issue, and therefore, as if a Christian people thinking about how the gospel of Jesus addresses our anger, uh, and and how anger is going to be reshaped in our sanctification is is important hmm, i guess yeah so w what should we make of uh god's anger how should we understand that i think we obviously have a a reference point in our own experience of anger and maybe seeing other people uh, around us getting angry but uh, as we've already noted so often our anger is uh if not wholly uh, sinful, it's at least tinged with sin and selfishness yeah. and pride and all these other vices, uh, and yet God's is, is not. And so how should we understand what it means for God to be angry? I, yeah, I felt I had to do quite a bit of work on this, really, because um, just it, it, it's so, our culture's so against that, and, the, and there's that, that, rather shallow misreading that the God of the Old Testament is a nasty 
vicious, angry God, mm-hmm. and and the God of you know. I remember somebody saying to me, "Jesus was never angry, was he?" And I was thinking, well, I said to them, "Actually, you probably need to read the New Testament." Um, <laughs> I hope I said it kindly, but it's true. <laughs> I tr- we've tried to identify in the book some of the differences about God's anger from ours. Things like that it's it's God's anger is based on perfect knowledge. And there's a really good chapter that, that Steve wrote in the book about how uh, we like to think we know everything, especially when we're angry with somebody. We like to think we know all mm, about them. Yeah. And we never do. We assume and their motives and we, their intentions. Exactly. Exactly. And we hate it when people do that with us. Um, but we do that with, with other people naturally. But whereas God's is based on perfect knowledge and it's it's always got good as the goal it's always directed simply and purely against evil uh, there's something about god's anger that's it's forewarned clearly in scripture it's not a random thing it's a steady good thing it's a necessary thing uh, it'd be terrible to live in a world where there wasn't one sovereign God who was angry at evil, um, which strangely in our society people implicitly acknowledge because mm. you know, there's plenty of anger around, people protesting. I mean, there's been a lot recently, uh, angry protests about racism, for example. And uh, I mean, of course, there are things that haven't been right about all that, but fundamentally we're right to be angry at racism mm. we're right to be angry at injustice so it, there's something you know when people say oh i don't like the idea of god being angry those same people uh think it's absolutely right to be angry about things they reckon are wrong in the world and often we would want to agree with them yeah yeah well, unpack that a little bit what is the the connection between anger and injustice because it, it seems like that um, righteous anger, whether that's God's righteous anger or, or even human righteous anger, uh, is connected to justice in some way or another. So could you unpack that a little bit? Yes. I mean, I, I, John the Baptist is an interesting example, isn't he? You know, when people come to him and he says, you brood of vipers, and, you know, he really, um, he's pretty forthright. Some harsh words. Yeah, yeah, he's pretty strong, really. And, and they say to him, well, what should we do? And he, he says to the soldiers, you know, don't extort money from people and, you know, be fair and so on and so on. It's very practical. There's something about injustice which arouses the anger of God and ought to arouse our anger. Um, our anger is always mixed, isn't it? I mean, we, we never feel pure righteous anger. But... You know, if something wicked and evil happens or is said and we feel angry, we are right to feel angry. Mm. I mean, with us, the problem is that if it's something which impacts me, I feel angrier than if it's something that impacts other people. Right. It's like uh, I maybe you're right that this kind of thing is an objective uh, injustice in some way, but it seems like... Uh, it's especially 
angering to us when that injustice, we perceive it to be impacting us unfairly or wrongly. Uh, I speak to that a little bit too. It seems like it's very hard at times to even assess our own hearts to know the difference between a good anger that's justified and a a bad anger. Or or maybe it's like it, it seems like at some point the anger gets uncontrolled enough that it's, it's no longer righteous. Uh, how do you, how do you think about that dynamic in your own life and your own heart when it comes to, uh, yeah, dealing with anger? That's a really good question. I probably don't think about it enough, but, um, the example of Jesus is, I think, hugely helpful. So Jesus was very angry at hardness of heart in the synagogue, the man with the withered hand and the people who couldn't care about him. He was very angry when his father's name was dishonored by what was happening in the temple. He was angry in John 11 against sin and and death, spoiling the world. But I was really convicted in his own sufferings when he himself is falsely accused by false witnesses and tried in an unjust trial and executed completely unfairly, Jesus shows no trace of anger Hmm. at all. And I was thinking that there's something there rather profound in in that I, I mean, I'm the opposite. I don't care terribly if other people are badly treated. I might care a bit, but I don't care an awful lot. But I care a great deal if I'm badly treated, Hmm. and I get angry at that. What's the relationship between anger and forgiveness? I think sometimes we can, as Christians especially, we know that we are called to forgive those who treat us unjustly, who sin against us. Uh, And sometimes we can think that if I forgive someone, then that means uh, part of that forgiveness is no longer being angry at them. Is that true? I think probably eventually. I mean, it takes time, doesn't it? I find, I think we all find it takes time for our emotions to catch up in a way. And I may genuinely forgive somebody. I mean, if I could just speak personally, you know, my wife and I have just, we're very happily married, but we've had a difficult weekend. And there's been some anger. I guess every, even in the happiest of marriages, that happens. And we've forgiven each other. But I find that I can forgive and I genuinely forgive, but it takes time for the anger to die down. Mm. I think it needs to. I mean, I was really struck actually by that extraordinary story in Matthew 18 of the unforgiving servant where Jesus talks really about this astronomical debt that the servant owes the master and that the master has forgiven him. And that actually what I really need is a deeper sense of my own sinfulness. If God gives me a deeper sense of my own sinfulness, my own wickedness, my own failure, then somehow forgiving others um, falls into place, mm, yeah. <laughs> I think. But it's, it's, a, it's a difficult thing, isn't it, in the realities of life? It's, yeah. easy to, it's easy to say. Yeah, well, I think any married person listening right now will resonate with that because it does seem like 
so often it's the people that we're closest to, that we have the least patience with, that we are most prone to assume motives for, and, and all of that leads us to get angry. Um, wh- one passage that I remember uh, always stood out to me, especially in those early days of marriage and in relation to my relationship with my wife, uh, is that well-known passage in Ephesians 4 where Paul says, uh, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And I, I remember always reading that passage as a, a pretty firm command to, uh, in relation to my wife, to, to make sure I work things out, make sure we're no longer feeling angry at each other, even if we've just had an argument or disagreed on something uh, before we went to bed every night. Yeah. Um, how do you understand that passage and others like it uh, when it comes to dealing with our anger in relationship with other Christians? I think what you've described is is right. I mean, not letting the sun go down on your anger. There's an urgency about that, isn't there? Mm. I mean, when, when Paul says, don't let the sun go down, he's, I mean, we don't want to be silly about that you know if you have an argument just as the sun's setting and you've got 30 seconds to put it right (laughs) you know we're not we don't want to be silly about that but there's an urgency about it and i think the urgency comes from don't give the devil an opportunity which i think can mean something like giving him a beachhead in an Mm. invasion it's almost like letting him get onto your landmass do you Um, think there's something uniquely dangerous about uh, anger that hasn't been dealt with uh, in terms of letting Satan kind of get a get a foothold in our lives in some way. I it seems it seems that that's the case that there can be resentments that breed. It it's something dangerous because it's not static. Hmm. It doesn't just say stay there. It's it breeds, and we all know that feeling of lying awake at night getting angrier and angrier and if you know if like me you're you you spend a lot of your life doing words you compose the most eloquent um put downs for people <laughs> the the best response to yeah to something. yeah and it's a very good thing if they're not written or sent um <laughs> I tremble to think. I mean, of course, that's part of the trouble with social media nowadays is that they do get right. They do get posted, and mm-hmm. then they can't be taken back. Um, yeah, I think there is something. It, it, it breeds resentment. It can it can destroy me. Mm, yeah. That's the destructive thing because that's what my mind and heart go into when. If you use the image of a manual gearbox, you know, when you're, when you're in neutral, you just, you default to that. Yeah, yeah. Uh. Well, we often, um, when we think of anger, I think that the default picture is someone getting more and more upset that they finally explode and there's lots of yelling and uh, maybe in, in the most extreme cases, there's like physical violence associated with extreme anger. Um, but but anger can be expressed in a lot of different ways as well. Uh, what what would be some of those ways that you think anger is most often maybe expressed by different types of people? Yes. I mean, there are huge personality dimensions, aren't there? And indeed, cultural dimensions mm. to this. Um, but I was struck 
looking at the Bible that the the hot, explosive anger is very dangerous, but the cold, nursed anger that's that 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 just goes on being it it may not be expressed in hot words, but there's a cold, bitter anger brewing up. I suspect a lot of the anger against Jesus was like that. Mm. I mean, sometimes... and... Yeah, sometimes people blew up, didn't they? Like in the synagogue in Nazareth, they, they were obviously openly angry. But other times, you know, they just behind the scenes would be plotting to kill him. And there's that cold calculating it's almost worse isn't it because mm. it's premeditated there's, it, there's something a bit like in the old testament law if you if you lose your temper and lash out at somebody and hurt them it's wrong but if you if it's premeditated it's more serious mm, yeah and we have that don't we in our law codes you know a premeditated crime or a premeditated murder is worse mm-hmm. than, than, than one in the heat of anger. They're both mm-hmm. wrong, but there's something there. The other thing I was struck by is when anger gets frustrated and it's neither, it's, it's neither played out in revenge nor is it dealt with in the heart, that it can lead to depressive illness and I don't know what but but Mm. when it's all sort of bottled up that sort of anger that's so there's something there that's destructive as well I guess well speak to that then there's someone listening right now who would say yeah I struggle with anger a lot Um, maybe it's uh, really really severe and and they're having outbursts maybe it's that other kind of cold uh, calculating resentment that just is sort of nursed over days and weeks and years. Um, what advice would you offer to that person? Uh, obviously, the situations matter, the specifics matter, uh, but what would be some general advice for starting to work through that in a healthy way? I, I think the first thing I would want to say is don't despair because the gospel of the Lord Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit can change us. And you think of, you know, Saul of Tarsus, who was a very angry man before his conversion, violently angry. And the Lord changed him. So I think that's the first thing I'd say, don't despair. The second is that it's only the gospel of the Lord Jesus that can change your heart or my heart. Uh, and, And strategies... There are lots of good strategies around, you know, anger management stuff, and, and a lot of it's very sensible. Um, but they, can, they can't change the heart. But the gospel of the Lord Jesus can change the heart. I was really struck, actually, by in the, in the letter of James. And it's clear that the people James is writing to are being badly treated uh, and have plenty to be angry about. And he says, if you want, if you lack wisdom, in chapter one, he says, ask God, God will give you wisdom. And when you read through the letter, you discover that wisdom is a, is a quality of character. It, 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 it's, it's not knowing what decision to make necessarily. Yeah. It's a quality of character and it includes peaceableness and control of the tongue and things like that and gentleness. 
And so to pray that God will gradually change you if there's somebody listening like that and and talk to you know talk to a pastor talk to a, a christian counselor talk to somebody who can help to point you to the scriptures and pray with you um but there is hope hmm. god does change us yeah, speak a little bit more to the relationship you see between um the gospel as you just said is is kind of that foundation uh, that's the real source of power for any true change in our hearts. And yet there's also some of these more practical step-by-step tools or advice for in the moment dealing with anger or uh, thinking about the situation that we're facing that's causing anger. Um, h- how do you think about those methods or techniques or tools in relation to the gospel? I, I mean, I think they can have value. Uh, by the common grace of God, there can be real value in in learning some of those strategies. But I think the gospel says to us, the scriptures say to us, only Christ can change my heart. And I need deeply to have Christ at work in my heart. I was very struck working on this by the place of Christian hope. Mm. You know, James says, the judges at the door, wait, be patient. Um, that's when these things will be put right and uh, hold on in, in hope. I'm also very struck by, you know, Romans 12, leave room for the, for the wrath of God, uh, which is the antidote to our anger, um, trusting that there is a God who says vengeance is mine and he will put all wrongs right Mm. and he'll do it perfectly. And I need those disciplines of prayer to keep coming back to that. And I mean, perhaps I could just say this, if there's someone listening and you're struggling with this, it's good not to struggle on our own. It's good to have, you know, a Christian brother or sister who can, walk with us through it and pray with us and remind us we don't need always to be told things we don't know we sometimes need just to be told things we do know Mm. i need christian brothers to to tell me things i know perfectly well and just remind me of them yeah well what would you say to someone then who is living with somebody who struggles with anger and uh, that's just kind of a an ever-present reality in their home or their house. Uh, what advice would you have for that person? It's it's really hard, and it's hard to know what advice to give in general terms. I mean, it that can overflow into abusive behavior, and there are times when somebody needs to be physically protected from that and taken out of the situation. So I think it's important to say that, that there are times when the thing is so dark and dangerous that somebody needs to be removed. Um, but for many of us, it's, it's, uh, it's a case of, you know, the, a, a marriage partner or a parent or a teenage child or, you know, somebody yeah. is just rather an angry person. And it's not abusive, but it just makes life difficult in the home. I... I mean, if if the person will see the problem and seek help, that's a wonderful thing. Uh, if they won't, 
I think all we can do to model grace and patience and forbearance and kindness in the home, sometimes we forget, I think, how powerful that can be. Mm. Think about, you know, plenty of teenagers go through a period of being very angry, often seems to go with teenage years. And plenty of us have, have known that in our own lives. Um, but the, the effect of a patient parent, a kind parent who doesn't hit back, uh, it's hard to overestimate really the, mm. the impact of that kind of Christ-likeness. Yeah, yeah, the power of a gentle word. Yeah, yeah. Well, Christopher, thank you so much for taking some time today to speak with us and I think really offer some encouragement uh, when it comes to how we think about anger, how we deal with our own anger, pointing us back to scripture where we see that uh, it isn't silent on this issue. And uh, we appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you. It's been a joy to be with you and talking to you. That was Christopher Ash on Anger and the Christian Life. For more, be sure to check out his book with Crossway, The Heart of Anger, How the Bible Transforms Anger in Our Understanding and Experience, available online or at your local Christian bookstore. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review, which helps us spread the word about the show. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's Word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.